Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 176, part one of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thank you so much for being here. Yep, we got a two-parter. This one's another good one, two-parter. Before I introduce the guest, I'd like to read another review. Review time, review time. This one is titled, So Dope, Hearing from a Wide Variety of Designers. And this review is left by White28. It says, Bite-sized introductions to tons of different designers, not just the heavy hitters and the conference circuit folks. Also, the host seems like the nicest dude ever. Like you could spill his coffee and he'd buy a new coffee for the both of you. Thank you so much, White28, for leaving that review. I picked that one because I also like what you added in the end there. I, I like to think I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm a little bit biased, but what do you do? Anyways, thank you so much for leaving that review. Uh, let's get to the guest. Today's guest is Derek Friday from Findustry. He's an experiential designer out of Boulder, Colorado. During part one of this interview, we talk about how he was trained as an architect, but he's also an ultra marathon runner. We talk about his journey from architect to experiential designer, and we also talk about the artist that influenced him early on and what Derek used to collect, what he used to be a collector of. We also talk a whole bunch about print in this episode and some great projects that Derek has been a part of, some super cool stuff there. And I leave it as a nice little cliffhanger in the end, just before we get into the lessons, the challenges, the nitty gritty stuff. I'll save that for part two. This is a gem, a part one gem, ladies and gentlemen. So don't miss it. So let's get to it. My guest today, Mr. Derek Friday. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Derek. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Doing great. Thanks. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Perfect. Are you ready for a quickie then? I am ready for a quickie. I think my mom will be confused, but I'm, I'm totally ready. <laughs> um, well, let's start with the tough stuff. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Sure. Um, my name is Derek Friday, and um, I live in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I'm trained as an architect, but now I practice sort of what's called multidisciplinary design or um, experiential design. Um, I'm also an ultra runner. Um, I guess I'm sort of a, a jack of all trades, master of none at this point, but um, I run a studio here in Boulder called Findustry, and um, I practice experiential design, uh, brand identity, um, and collateral signage and wayfinding, and um, surface pattern designs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been a big um, component of the work that I've done over this past handful of years. And um, Currently, I'm working on sort of a smattering of different types of projects, um, 
working on a project for specialized bikes, um, working for a ski helmet company called Glade out of Breckenridge. And um, I'm doing branding right now for professional runner and Flagstaff. And then um, I just do a lot of various signage uh, projects, integrated branding and signage for development, um, and um, just brands for small startup companies. And then I'm almost always um, doing some kind of passion project or creative distraction, creating art. Um, I have a small print shop on Big Cartel. So I'm usually doodling around and making art and things as a, you know, just something to keep me busy when I'm not working, which, you know, is usually all the time, but it's a good, like I said, creative distraction. Mm -hmm, For sure. So I actually want to unpack that a little bit. So you, how long have you been running Findustry for? How long has that been your thing? Findustry has been going on for about 10 years now. Okay. And before that, what were you doing? Were you a full-time architect? Were you in the studio game? What were you doing? I was still practicing environmental graphic design and I was working for a Boulder agency called communication arts, com arts. And, um, I had been, uh, I had done like a five year hiatus from Boulder. We lived in Baltimore, uh, where I worked with RTKL for a number of years. And then I moved to Southern California and worked with a smaller family agency called RSM design. Um, and in both cases I was practicing environmental graphic design and then, uh, we really missed Boulder and sort of circled back. And I circled back to ComArts in 2008. You know, just perfect time for the uh, for the crash. And um, <laughs> yeah. fortunately, I had a European client that kept me busy, but the company shrunk considerably and um, ended up being purchased by a large sort of engineering firm called Stantec that just wanted a boutique agency that did branding and environmental graphic design as part of their list of services. And, um, it just wasn't my cup of tea. I stuck around for about a year after the buyout, um, and, um, was actually part of their sort of leadership group, but it just, it really just wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a good out with my European client that basically sort of set me on a path of, of being busy, um, for a considerable amount of time right after that. Got it. So you had mentioned earlier on that you were trained as an architect Mm-hmm. Um, can you sort of unpack that story a little bit? So you were trained at an arch- as an architect. Did you go to school for architecture? I did. Um, okay. I, went to, I went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, mm-hmm. and I um, actually received their environmental design degree, which was their four-year um, architecture um, studio program. And they had a two, two-year master's program after that. So I graduated from, from Miami. I did not... Um, pursue a master's degree at that point, moved to Chicago and basically just got thrown headfirst into the sort of uh, corporate um, architectural world in Chicago mm-hmm. and, and worked for a lot of uh, really neat firms. But it was also a time where the economy wasn't great. So and fortunately for my story, I hop skipped and jumped around to a lot of different firms from architecture to corporate interiors um, to residential architecture and really got a taste of what architecture um, cool. the architecture world was like, um, and particularly the interiors um, component. So um, in a very short period of time, I experienced a lot about the architecture and interiors world. Um, and it was great, but there was always kind of something missing. I didn't really feel at home um, practicing practicing architecture or, or interiors. I like components of all of it, but mm-hmm. I 
could sort of tell right away that I did not want to be an architect per per se. Um, and I think because of that, that ultimately led me to discovering a firm like ComArts um, and Boulder that had all these disciplines under under one roof from interiors to graphic design to, to typography to um, illustration to, um, you know, storytelling. And it just sort of worked for me. The, the partners had um, worked for the Eames office in Venice, um, you know, in the 60s and, and they brought that idea to Boulder and started their own firm. So we'll, we'll probably touch on this a little bit more later, but that's the kind of quick story of how I, you know, came to a realization that, that you can practice design and sort of do it under this sort of auspice of a, um, you know, kind of a multidisciplinary career instead mm. of being pigeonholed into architectural practice. So the positions that you held within that architectural sort of realm, none of them, like you liked elements of them, but none of them really just like lit you up and, and said, yeah, this, this is the way. Yeah. So how did the opportunity at Calm Arts come up? Were you seeking a different opportunity or did it, how did that come up? That's a really good question. When I worked in all these different firms in Chicago, they sort of didn't know what to do with me because um, <laughs> I would do, I would build models. I would do, um, you know, presentation drawings. I was doing material boards. I was doing all these things that weren't specific to like, you know, a typical architectural trainee or intern. Mm-hmm. And I think they knew that it just wasn't my interest or, or strength. And I, I probably didn't have the attention span for it, but I was doing all these things that were, helping the client understand the sort of, you know, big idea of the project or, you know, build models or do things that really visually were selling the idea. And um, so that's kind of the way it was for me um, with all these different firms. And at times I would do traditional architectural exercises, but I, you know, I hated it. Mm -hmm. Um, When I finally landed at a place like ComArts, I built a portfolio that was strong enough to show them that I that I had this in me, but they were still kind of using me as a quote unquote architect guy, um, helping with a lot of the coordination of architecture and all the other kind of crossover disciplines that they were adding mm-hmm. to the process. Um, and it wasn't until I left and went out to get that real experience at RTKL on the East Coast and this agency in Southern California. Um, that's when I really cut my teeth and got thrown into the deep end doing signage and graphics and typography and a lot more traditional um, graphic design type mm-hmm. type work. So that was really great for me to have that experience. And also having worked at ComArts, I was easily hired at these other places because ComArts had such a, a, a solid reputation, like a pentagram level reputation. Wow, that's great. And, and um, so I really got lucky in that regard. And then when I circled back, I was like, see what I did. I, I, I got all this experience now. I've worked all over the world. I've worked on amazing projects. And by the way, I have a client for you. Mm-hmm. So, so it kind of panned out well. And, you know, and that's when, you know, that when I returned to ComArts, that's when I kind of, I guess, would consider myself a full-fledged, you know, environmental graphic designer, experiential graphic designer. Whereas the first first time I was there, I was kind of hoping to get to that point i wasn't quite there yet but i was i was playing in that playing in that world and definitely influenced by all these amazing talented people that were doing all these amazing things you know so you went seeking that opportunity at com arts it just wherever where you were at the at the whatever architecture firm just didn't feel quite right so you went looking for something else yes i mean i 
I found, I, I didn't know that a place like that existed, but then when I realized that it did, I did everything I could to get there. Got it. Um, so I, I lucked out because I really didn't have, I mean, I can't imagine what that port portfolio looked like, but somehow I got in. <laughs> somehow you got in. Yeah. Um, so Derek, I'm going to kick this back even further now, and I want to hear a little bit about your childhood and what that was like. Do you feel you had a creative childhood that pointed you in this career path? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Um, I, um, so my mom, you know, largely growing up as, as a child, my mom was, was home. She was a homemaker more or less. And my father was a, a salesman mm -hmm. with Xerox. Um, he had a pretty, pretty nice job with, with Xerox. And, um, I was a third child sort of, I don't know if I was unexpected, but I was the youngest of three, only boy, and you know, largely sort of unsupervised and mischievous and kind of into everything. <laughs> but I was also oddly um, sort of organized and meticulous, and uh, you know, I think I just kind of had this sort of I was set up for for success of being like an organized, thoughtful kid. But I was also in trouble all the time too, like I said. Um, and, you know, like most kids, I was always drawing and building and playing with Legos and G.I. Joes and collecting and, and doing all this stuff. Um, my uncle um, was an architect um, in Chicago, and he was um, he was largely responsible for the sort of structural integrity of Marina City Towers, the uh, cylindrical towers on the Chicago River. Okay. Uh, and uh, he had this really cool house in Barrington, Illinois, and we used to go out there a lot as kids. And um, so I definitely picked up on that like architecture vibe for sh for sure. And um, we also had um, a house filled with uh, Charlie Harper prints. And Charlie Harper is this you know amazing naturalist artist that you know strived to kind of have the forms be as minimal as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, and towards the end of his career um, or before he passed, his you know his art was just so clean and minimal and, and colorful and. You know, the household was organized and clean and um, nothing special or over the top, but, you know, it was a good sort of environment for for creativity. Um, and uh, my parents always encouraged it, but it was nothing um, sort of like, uh, it wasn't like a big kind of part of like who I was, I don't think at the time. I think I was just into all sorts of things, but definitely um, collecting and playing with, uh, you know, with, with Lego blocks and, um, Lincoln logs and GI Joe's Lincoln and logs. I remember those building dioramas and, um, you know, things like that. I was, mm -hmm. uh, I was definitely, you know, kind of doing that, but it, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't anything that was like sort of, you know, intensely sort of, mm -hmm. you know, put on the table there. The other kind of interesting story about, um, growing up is, uh, uh, my dad would take me to his office a lot. Um, and I was exposed to sort of the early kind of era um, computing, particularly um, sort of, you know, the interface um, on, on a computer screen with um, Xerox, you know, were, were one of the earlier developers of the, of the mouse and the cursor and actually be able to click on things on the screen and having something happen. And I remember as a kid having that be like a pretty pivotal aha moment of technology. So... Um, again, not that I wanted to go into that field, but I, I was exposed to it and it was, it was interesting. So I, I, I had a good sort of visual exposure of things. Um, we also went to, um, the, see plays regularly. So I was seeing performing arts and stage design. And, um, so I, I was definitely, you know, exposed to some, some, some thoughtful things that, that probably helped sort of like 
forge my 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 mindset on on design and aesthetics. Mm-hmm. But it also sounds like that you were um, you know around sort of the architecture more than anything in the beginning. I think so. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, it was just it was it was definitely something that I you know noticed, and I remember being a boy and my my cousin Dan you know, teaching me how to draw a two point perspective, you know, we would just sit on my grandfather's sofa and we would draw together. And it was just, you know, something that I probably wouldn't have experienced with my mom and dad. Um, And so it was, it was, you know, it was definitely something that influenced me. Got it. So then you're going through school and you're pursuing architecture at this point. Did you also dabble in any sort of creative arts or design through the schooling that, that, gave you an opportunity to touch on that? I mean, in different ways. I mean, I took a lot of film classes okay. and, uh, you know, I was, as a kid, I know we'll get into this about what was influential um, during my life, but, you know, as a kid, I was always into, um, to, you know, car design and, and clothing, you know, like I just wanted to dress well, even though we didn't have the money for me to buy whatever we wanted, but I was always, um, wanting to present myself, you know, well in public and, and dress appropriately. And I, I noticed, you know, car design and product design, stereos and music and album covers. I was, I was for sure all that stuff was on my radar, um, all the time. Um, but, um, sorry, what was, how, how do we get to that? Oh, just, you know, when you were going through college or high school, you know, did you, did you touch, did you ha- take a graphic design program or a typography program? Or yeah. did you take something that introduced you to it? No. And in fact, I didn't even declare architecture or environmental design as my major until after a year of, of school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just taking, you know, like a lot of electives and film classes. And I did take some drawing classes. I mean, I was, I was for sure destined to be in some kind of creative world, but I just, I didn't know. I, I needed mm-hmm. some time to just figure it out on my own or have some kind of outside influences. My my parents certainly weren't pressuring me, mm-hmm. and and socially there wasn't any kind of pressure back then to know what you wanted to do. You know, before you went to school, like um, there those pressures exist now. So, so you had said you didn't have any outside influences in that direction, and that sort of is a nice lead into my next question, which is. Um, what has been the most influential design of your life so far? Something or some things that you just saw and have stuck with you since? Yeah, I mean, um, I really like this question and I kind of broke it up into three parts. Um, partly because I, I, I recently spoke, um, I was able to speak in China um, this past spring and I had this part of my presentation that were sort of like my aesthetic influences, but mm-hmm. I did it sort of a timeline fashion because, you know, as I was young, I was influenced by things in my sort of middle, my, you know, post-college years and getting into the work field and then now. So, I mean, when I was young, like I said, I was definitely influenced by, you know, this artist, Charlie Harper, and just those forms and how simple and clean they were and colorful, but also just being inundated with, um, I was a collector, so I collected, you know, beer cans and stamps, postage stamps and uh, base, baseball cards. My dad would always buy me, you know, the mint sets of every year of stamp issues. And um, so I think, I think graphically, I was just sort of blown away by, you know, how cool stamp design was and all the different patterns and graphics on beer cans and, 
no baseball cards, not not so much, but just this sort of um, sort of design each each year of the way baseball cards and the different feelings that they would evoke and the typography and the way that the images looked. I was mm-hmm. for sure influenced by that stuff and just thought it was so cool. Um, you know, when I was sort of post, you know, in the high school and into into college and just after college, um, it was definitely more, you know. Um, old classic BMWs and uh, Dita ROMs and stereo equipment and, um, uh, you know, architecture for sure, um, you know, modernism architecture. And then, um, and Michael Graves was also a big influence because he was sort of more of a graphic designer almost than, a, than an architect. And these forms were really simple and clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moving to Chicago in the 90s and just being inundated with the whole postmodern architectural scene and all these sort of signature architects of the day. Um, and then again, the modernist like Mies van der Rohe. I mean, I was just, you know, really influenced by the simplicity of all that. And, but the different interpretations of, of, um, of postmodernism architecture. Um, so, you know, those, those for sure were, were major um, kind of influential eras. And then now um, I'd say that I'm kind of mostly influenced by, you know, the sort of the purity of the mountains. I mean, I, I've been living in the mountains now for, you know, 22, 23 years, and I'm heavily influenced by the mountains and, and sort of natural beauty and patterns in nature paired with this sort of like Swiss minimalism, you know, just work, working in Hamburg, Germany for the past nine years and being in Northern Europe and, uh, and in Switzerland a lot. Um, I've been really heavily influenced by the sort of like restrained sort of purity of, of Swiss design. And, you know, I'm not an illustrator. I'm not, um, you know, I don't put a lot of detail on things. I keep things pretty simple. Um, and most of my work and, you know, the older I get, the more I realize how important it is to show uh, restraint and not try to put everything into um, a design solution and know when to kind of put your pencils down, um, know when it's finished and being, mm-hmm. being okay with it. So sort of a long answer to that, that question, but I thought it was important to kind of like set it up for the way that it's, it, that, that it's evolved. Um, but I still get really excited when I think back about, you know, when I had a beer can collection and how cool all that chaos was, you know, um, versus the way I am now, mm-hmm. um, with needing to be pretty simple and clean. So, <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And, you know, it's so true that, you know, it, as we go through these phases in our lives, you know, being young adults and teenagers and young adult or then into, you know, full on adulthood, um, the, our, our influences change and our inspirations evolve. Right. For sure. Mm-hmm. So Derek, I want to know who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to now and closely follow? Um, what is it about them that you like? Yeah. Um, that's also a good question that I put some thought into. I mean, there's just, you know, I know everyone says this. There's just, there's just so many. Um, I did sort of break it up into to designers and, and brands, I guess. And I, mm-hmm. I suppose if you're sort of considering kind of um, current, you know, current designers and sort of who we, you know, are seeing, you know, all the time, depending on how much we spend looking at social media or watching talks or hearing podcasts or lectures or whatever. Um, you know, um, Pentagram is always going to be, you know, a group that I'm just sort of continually inspired and amazed by, Mm -hmm. um, their sort of consistent quality of, 
of design solutions that sort of cover a broad spectrum of, of disciplines. Um, I think they're just amazing kind of can do no wrong, um, type of agency. I would, um, in another life, I'd just love to, to be part of that office. Um, so, you know, they're doing amazing work. Um, you know, I live in Boulder and I have a lot of really good friends and designers here and cast iron design. Um, they're really good friends of mine and, uh, Todd and Lucian at Burger Fair are also good friends of mine. And both of those guys are just doing solid, consistent, um, work that I just appreciate so much. And they're just such nice people and so accessible and so supportive. Um, so I really, you know, like to show them a lot of, uh, um, uh, encouragement and, 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 and I look up to the work that they're doing. Um, I mean, you know, Aaron Draplin has definitely, you know, influenced so many of us. I mean, he's um, he's just a great personality. He's um, doing really beautiful work. He's um, he's a kind person. Has just put so much of himself out there, and is always willing to stop what he's doing to shake somebody's hand or smile. He's a great writer and tells really cool stories. And his his work is cool. I mean, it's it's. Um, I'm definitely in- influenced by what, what he's done, and I appreciate his sort of authentic story. Um, my friend Ben um, House in Columbus is just also an awesome dude that um, I love, this sort of colorful, um, exciting, sort of um, exceptional work. And uh, he's also one of the nicest people that I've um, developed a relationship through Instagram, and I really appreciate that. He's also a very, very good freestyle rapper. I'm not sure if you knew that. Oh, yeah, I've seen some of his work. It's it's good. You've seen some of his bars. <laughs> um, Jay Fletcher, JPEG Jay is amazing. Um, and then my good friend JC Buck here in town as an architectural photographer. And, um, you know, I really try to pay a lot of attention to other disciplines and disciplines that I'm not a part of because I appreciate so much um, all these other sort of avenues of, of creativity um, and uh there's a lot of photography out there and a lot of architectural photography and, and JC is just doing some exceptional, exceptional work. So that's just the, to name a few. Um, as far as brands, I mean, that's also a tough thing because I am a brand loyalist when it comes to um, running gear and mountain gear and things like that. Um, Patagonia is uh, a great brand because of their sort of commitment to environmental stewardship. And I really think they're walking the walk. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Ultra is a um, uh, Utah-based running company that I just um, I'm just always interested to see what their next kind of line of shoes are and their sort of the work that they're doing. Um, Stance is a running sock company that I love, mm-hmm. but brands like Herman Miller and Volvo and Merimekko, I mean, just industrial design and fat, textile design, furniture design. That you know the classic ones and how they continue to sort of develop their brand and like in an unmistakable way that's still so representative of their high quality and, and what they've done in the past. So mm. a lot of kind of um, mainstay, you know, kind of um, workhorse brands that, you know, have been around for a really long time. Um, so that's just, I guess, just to name a few. Yeah, those are all great ones. And I can get what you're saying. And, you know, as soon as you mentioned um, Volvo, especially on the brand side, um, right away, you know, it creates the visual, creates what the brand is about, creates what the vehicles say and what they're known for, you know, and that's just from saying Volvo. Yeah. You know, so, exactly. I mean, that, that's a brand. Yeah, it's an amazing story. Mm-hmm. So, Derek, I want to get into a little bit about print and packaging design. I want to hear how you have utilized 
um, print and print design in your career. Any recent projects or print projects you could share with us? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's it's funny. Um, so the one thing that we haven't really touched on that much is um, for the past nine years, I've been working with this group in Hamburg, Germany called ECE, and they're a private retail development company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they own or manage about 150 shopping projects in Europe. And, um, you know, they range from like kind of A tier to B minus tier shopping projects, depending on where they're located. Okay. But... Across the board, um, one uh, component of their shopping mall design that um, sort of affects the aesthetics or the environments are large format print graphics. And um, those can really sort of influence the environment along with, you know, good furniture and lighting and the spatial design. So for nine years, I've been doing basically surface pattern design, developing large format print. Mm -hmm graphics for these environments and um of their 150 projects i probably touched about 70 of them so i've been doing print large format print studies um for for a long time so i mean that's probably like as a quote-unquote graphic designer um that's what i'm kind of partially calling myself that's my my most direct association with print Mm -hmm. print work let's say um and it's been really interesting um and I've even gotten to the point where, like, I've done so much large format print stuff that, like, as a passion project or a side project, I like to do print stuff that's, like, on the smallest surface possible, like <laughs> like a stamp or a button or something to kind of reduce it down to its, its essence. Um, but, I mean, I have been doing, you know, a lot of letterpress work lately. I've been doing some kind of little book design things lately. I just did a packaging design for a U.K.-based spice company called wonderland cool. um, so things like that and i also have a small print shop um on my big cartel site so i've been doing a lot of making a lot of art um just minimalist print uh minimalist art prints and things like that in various sizes so um you know i wouldn't say you know even though i have had a lot of experience and i do a lot of print graphics i'm definitely not an expert i don't know all the lingo i don't know all the cool print shops all over the country and you know, I've never been to um I have actually been to the Hatch print shop in Nashville but <laughs> I don't know the guys at Mama Sauce I mean I you know I'm not kind of in that world quite yet but I find it super fascinating and I welcome every opportunity to learn more about the process I'm working with a group right now called the Mand- Mandate Press in Utah and we're doing a letterpress project now and I finally after years have all the lingo down to have the complete understanding of how letterpress is working versus offset printing and mm-hmm. I feel like learning more and more but I'm, I'm by no means um, an, an, an expert but um, because I uh, have a lot of interesting clients that end up needing a lot of different types of things more often than not beyond the signage and wayfinding or just an identity program mm-hmm. I'm to kind of communicate with them to the point where they recognize they might need a cool, you know, specialty collateral piece where we can do some cool die cut stuff or some cool, you know, letterpress stuff or just something that feels more custom or or visually interesting than what, you know, their competitors or what, you know, kind of, I don't know, the average sort of print job might, might be. So, um, it's a world that I know I'll continue digging into and I'm super interested in. Um, but the large format print graphic stuff for these retail projects has been sort of like, I guess the, 
the the most powerful kind of connection to the print mm-hmm. print world. Yeah, well, since you are so interested in it, um, I have a side project called Print Design Academy. It's not really a side project, um, mm-hmm. but it's a, basically a platform, education platform, an online community to train graphic designers to be experts in all kinds of print design, from oh, cool. terminology to letterpress to screen print to offset, requesting quotes, everything, everything in there. Um, it's the it's closed right now. I'm building the beta site with my founding members. But you can get on the wait list and you'll be the first to know when it opens up again. You just go to printdesignacademy.com. Oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations Congratulations on that because um, I know that so many people probably are in my sort of state of mind about this. And, you know, there's so much talent out there and you're like nervous to say, yeah, I don't really understand completely what line embossing means or (laughs) there's just a lot to learn. But it is is fascinating. And I'll tell you – I worked on a really cool project where um, the original site was an old newspaper um, print uh, location, and it was turned into a new, nicely designed development. So there was a lot of context and history there that I wanted to integrate or incorporate into the signage design and some of the branding stuff. So mm-hmm. I bought the film Linotype and became obsessed with that documentary, and I've just watched it over and over and over again. So, I mean, it's just like, you know, again, if I could pick another avenue to go down um that would definitely be be one of them just Mm -hmm. just become a print expert so for those smaller projects that you've done where you've had a client that's you know done a little card with a die cut or done some cooler things like that yeah um can you describe the feeling of going from creating it on your screen sending it to a printer hoping for the best but then getting that sample in your hand when it's done can you describe that yeah, I can. It's amazing um, because I actually have had some a couple of pretty recent ones. Um, I did a project for this um, genetics company called Hunterian Medicine, and mm-hmm. uh, the typography had a really interesting sort of nuance to it, where there was sort of a chamfered corner. Um, so we did a chamfered corner die cut on the card, and we also did a really beautiful spot varnish on the offset printing, and um, you know. The one thing that I've learned um, in this past, like maybe like handful of years as a solo designer, is to really kind of em- emphasize that sort of follow through, that last ten or fifteen percent of the process, mm-hmm. where you really want to do diligence and make sure that you really are getting what you what you want or what you expect, or more importantly, what the client expects. Because too many times you throw something out into the ether and then you hope for the best, and then you go to take pictures for your portfolio and it looks you know, awful. So that's, that's a very disappointing feeling. So in this particular case, it was so fulfilling. And, um, I've had a handful of successes consistently on top of that Hunterian experience so far. Um, so I know that, um, I'm starting to get that, um, that feeling of how important it is to, to follow through and make sure that you, you know, you have a hundred percent batting average of, of positive sort of, um, results. So, and in this project that I'm working on with Mandate now, this this um, letterpress project, we're, we're laminating two pretty heavy stocks together. They're two different types of stocks, which is going to require an edge um, edge painting to kind of get a consistent edge. And um, one side we're doing a blind emboss um, or deboss, what, whatever goes into the surface of the paper. Pressing in is the deboss. Pressing in, blind de- blind deboss. Mm-hmm. And and um, the opposite side, there'll be a little flood of ink, I guess, in the letterpress part. So there are a lot of like little, you know, nuances to the to the card that could 
have really set it up for disaster. But I know that after four quotes and five conversations with uh, my friend um, Ben at Mandate that it's it's going to be great because at the end it's just going to be shipped to us, you know, finished. We we can see a proof on the screen all day long, but yep. in the end it's going to be come down to so like it will getting, be a hard copy of something arriving in your mailbox. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So got it. So Derek, the next few questions I have for you, I gotta drag you through the mud a little bit. Gotta pull up uh, some tough stories from the past. That's okay. Maybe some sensitive moments. Yeah. And um, I want to share those lessons. Share what you've learned through them. And yeah. um, I promise I'll turn it around at the end. We'll end in That's a happy spot. That's okay. It's part of the story. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. what has been the most challenging period or time in your life so far? Um, why was it challenging and how would you get through it? Yeah. So when I moved back to Boulder and took that job for the All right. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Good old cliffhanger right in the end there. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Part two goes up tomorrow. That's where we get into the challenges, the lessons learned, the real tough stuff that Derek has been through and come out the other side of. Some of it he might still be in a little bit. Got to listen. Thanks again. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye.